You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. I am here with Anna, and we have uh, just a, a slew of very special guests with us today. Um, I'll start with the infamous, legendary couple, Lori and Corey Cole, behind Obvious Games. I think you guys know. I'm just stalling because I didn't do my homework. Um, no, of course, behind Quest for <laughs> behind Quest for Glory uh, and Hero You and and some really fun stuff in development. We'll get talking. They're two of the most lovely people that you'd ever wish to spend time with and talk to, which is nice to know. This is a meet your hero situation with mm-hmm. Nicole. So anyway, I've said enough. Welcome to the show, mates. How are you? Hello. How are we? We're pretty good. Lovely. Well, I'm doing really well. Thanks. Wonderful. And, and, you know, I guess before we go, we get too wordy on everybody. We've got a third special guest with us today, uh, admin over at the Classic Gamers Good Guild and a good friend of ours, Josh O'Ryan Koss. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, a bit surreal. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy to have all of us together to chat. I know Josh is a super fan. If anybody has the inkling to go back and listen to an episode of the Classic Gamers Guild podcast, there was a uh, super fans episode with Josh and uh, Hope Von Starnes talking about Quest for Glory and how much they love it. And now you get a chance, Josh, to talk about it in person with Lori and Corey. So that's pretty exciting for all of us. Yeah, Josh has been a fan forever, as far as I know. And uh, if I I recall, uh, way back when, volunteered to uh, do animation art for uh, Hero U, and uh, I regretfully uh, turned it down. It's probably a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, like 20 years ago, back when uh, the uh, internet forums were an actual thing, I contacted you, and uh, I still have a signed picture you guys sent me that got hanging up on my wall here. Oh, that's lovely. Well, when you get to know us better, we're uh, just ordinary uh, people and plenty of flaws, but uh, we like to think we're kind of nice people, uh, despite all the flaws. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been I've been playing a few games lately made by actual friends of mine. And in the past, of course, I hadn't met people who had been making games. And now that I've met you and Lori and you, Corey, in person and talk to you and, and come to your streams that you host on Twitch. I can really hear your voices in the games that you make. But at the same time, I've played them so much and they're so much of a part of me is like I can hear my own voice <laughs> uh-huh. in the Quest for Glory games as well. So like, I just love that you guys could do that. <laughs> well, hooray. When uh, yeah, if you're playing one of our games and, and hear your own voice, uh, I think that means mm-hmm. we succeeded. Uh, they are designed uh, to uh, feel a little bit different for everyone who plays them. And to, for you to be a part of them. That's the real, that's the goal we go into making is that you should feel like this is your game, that this is your character and you're doing these things because that's what you want to do, not because that's the only choice you have in the game, <laughs> which you do have in so many other game kind of games. Well, that's... One of the most fun things is having the uh, yeah. One of the most fun things is having the online debates of who's got the best headcanon of <laughs> what events happened and who, what 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 what's your hero's class and you know who do you marry? Yeah, and it it all so so many different versions of the world. Effectively, everybody has their own instance of the game. And, and I do occasionally read a uh, post from uh, someone talking about their headcanon and said, yeah, well, that might as well be right. 
why not? That's a, that's that's clearly what that's clearly what you must have been thinking at the time. Even oh, though so we you have people it. maybe See, filling in I gaps. Uh-huh. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. The the way I view it is like it's like the uh, Marvel multiverse. It's like everything is actually canon. It's just that in that version of it, it's true. Yes. Give her given truth, yes, and the given uh, instance of the reality. There's just multiple realities going on. Mm-hmm. It's still got to be a, a really cool uh, position to find yourself in, where, where you're giving definitive answers on canon of a world that you created. That's really cool. Yeah, but we'd also make things up. I mean, we never. There are questions people ask that we never thought of, but then when we have come up with the answer for it, that becomes the canon. So it's it's created because of people asking those questions. Right, right. Was there a point where you had to like start writing down what you were telling people just to (laughs) remember? Not as well as we should. I do have a Bible. The online wikis are for a Bible for like uh, Rogue to Redemption. Quest for Glory. And not, I don't have a good one for Quest for Glory. Yet. Uh, you did one with the uh, yeah, when you were doing the book, the book with Michelle. Yeah, the book is slightly different. Yeah, so there's. We did one for the book, but we have one right. for the 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 Hero U World, which collides. Mm. Yeah, I came across that recently and said, should I send that out to anyone else? No, I think I better keep it secret. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there is a there is a whole backstory to, uh, you know, why this why this castle exists and why uh, Hero U is in the castle and events going on in the world and who are the uh, uh, knights Luminar. Uh, uh, Luminar, Luminar. Luminati, Luminar. And so yes, uh, all of those things are there the history is all there and so any game set in that universe uh has to relate to those things so yeah we do do that yeah Lori and i have talked about what we're going to do with the uh you know the warrior story and the paladin story and so on and how that's all going to relate and what's going to be going on uh, in the world outside the uh, school so the idea that uh, we would have uh steadily escalating level of danger mm-hmm. Sean is uh, pretty much in a microcosm. He's at Hero U, and he's mostly just interested in himself and getting by, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, uh, making something of his own life, finding out what you know what the story is with his. And nothing uh, much is going so on, on. Um, in the outside personal. world for him. I mean, it's he. It's mm-hmm. he. He has a very peaceful time at the school, but as our stories progress. Um, the world becomes progressively more dangerous as things start to happen, sometimes because of the heroes. And so, therefore, the the universe around them starts to change and the games start to alter because of what's happening. So we do need to know these things in advance because we drop little mm-hmm. hints. Right. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, the uh, the name of Quino written in blood on, uh, in one place and in Rogue Redemption that is uh, relates to what's going on. The whole thing that's going on with the uh, the boss Wraith. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's stuff going on in the underground that is going to come back to haunt other players uh, later on, and they'll also expand beyond the boundaries of the university itself. So uh, 
Yeah, there's uh, there's some pretty heavy stuff going on in the world for a comedy well, game. Well, yeah, you have you have people that are doing what they've done with Quest for Glory, the same with Hero U, and I mean, many of us are those people. We're just playing it over and over to see everything that can happen and, and all the different ways that you can play the game and all the, the different ways that you can treat people and how it affects the gameplay, because much like in Quest for Glory 4, people change how they feel about you and how they talk to you and uh, depending on what you do in the game. So there's just there's just so much to it. And I love when I uh, uh, read stuff from uh, fans who, uh, you know, go back and uh, play uh, Quest for Glory every year, mm -hmm. every few years, uh, uh, and are saying, "Wait a second, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I just read a post of somebody doing something, and I didn't know that was in the game, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I just discovered this thing that in 20 years of playing the game that I've never noticed before." Mm -hmm. So that's always a lot of fun to read that and see that some of the little things we've hit enough, you know, finally get found. Because, you know, it's never intended for every player to find or everything. Or to get all the drugs no, but either. Be <laughs> With everybody putting out screenshots and all their little like, oh, my God, I can't believe I found this. Has anybody else seen this? And then they go to like all of the discords and everywhere else and going, have you guys seen this? Like, am I the only one? <laughs> Seriously? And it's like, oh, it's just such a cool process. <laughs> yeah, and it's and fun for us. And then there's scenes uh, where you get the joke, mm -hmm. where, you, where you didn't get the joke when yeah, you were so, younger, Sometimes I don't get all the jokes, yeah. you know, so. Uh, well, that yeah. came because of the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show from the cartoon show that when you were a kid, mm. There were so many jokes that they had in that that totally went over your head. They, you know, they were <laughs> written for adults and they were written, you know, for references that no kid really has. But the mm -hmm. whole point was it didn't matter because it was funny. And eventually, after mm -hmm. you watched it again, you understand what those jokes were that went over your head. And so, therefore, it's even more rich because of that. And that's exactly oh, what we yeah. were trying to do by having so many different jokes, so many different references. We knew you couldn't ever get them all, but you could have fun learning what they were. And eventually, maybe if you played it again, you'd get it. Mm -hmm. And you gave us a reason or to play Or maybe not. It. Like uh, uh, Sean and Hero U makes uh, some jokes to uh, try to make hmm. friends at uh, dinner time and... Uh, uh, one of them, Lori, just got just got around to writing the joke that Sean gives the punchline yes. for. In the, uh, <laughs> that was the uh, fra the front yeah. joke. Can we hear it? <laughs> uh, I'll have to look it up. Uh, I I'll yeah, have can to we find, find that again? Exactly, because I can't yeah. do it from memory. But yeah, I had to <laughs> actually put it in the thing. After all these times, I finally wrote the joke for the punchline. Oh, I love it. And uh, there's the other one about the uh, bridge players, uh, the, the best played games of Weiss and Ben. <laughs> and I'm like, who are Weiss and Ben? Uh, <laughs> that's why Lori just picked up some uh, couple, made up a couple names that uh, fit. But uh, uh, they're supposed to be famous bridge players in the uh, Hero U universe that uh, are not in ours. But it's all reference to the best, uh, the best led, laid plans of mice and men gang off the glay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Robert Burns, was that? Mm -hmm. I think so. It was a Robert Burns quote, twisted to become a uh, um, a bridge joke uh, involving the bridge players that nobody's ever heard of because they didn't exist except in the game. Yes. So, so even if you even if you know all the references, right. the you may not get all in, the jokes. Uh, the joke uh, in Rogue to Redemption is, at supper time, Sean gives the punchline, 
After all, with fronds like D's, who needs anemones? And so, of course, that's going to go <laughs> over everybody's head who have no clue what this is. But Sean found it funny, and you could see the other students didn't get it either. But it's a fang hood, which is a shaggy dog story that comes to a punchline that's a pun. And the actual lead into this line is fanciful chapeaus were all the rage and none were as pop popular as the stylish confections bedecked with anemone flowers to wear at every court occasion they were hugely expensive because belle francais only provided the flowers to parisian haberdashers however a resourceful albion hat maker main named Miss Melody, began making bonny bonnets with ferns instead. They were so charming that the market for hats with windflowers crashed overnight. After all, with fronds like these, who needs anemones? <laughs> I love that. Oh, that'd make at least two people groan in the room. And of course, I had never heard of that use of the word anemone, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, as a flower, that there are actually two different kinds of anemones. Mm. Uh, so I just got the fronds and anemones as uh, being, uh, you know, sea, sea creatures, <laughs> sea plants. See, multi-level jokes. That's it, though. Exactly. But it's That's exactly. But playing puns like that that I grew up reading from you guys that, mm -hmm. you know, that's the type of humor that I enjoy. We'll try not to make them quite so <laughs> inaccessible in Quest for Glory. But, <laughs> but also, yeah, uh, I love the idea that you can, you know, learn more about these things and, and understand them better as you go on. Mm -hmm. Well, that's part of that must be influenced by Monty Python, as you've said, yes. sort of their humor and, and meta humor and in-jokes and things really was a big influence on putting together the humor in your games. I really enjoyed it. Or back before that, in the uh, in the seventies, there was a group called Fire yes, Sign Theater yes. <laughs> uh, that uh, did radio plays. And my brother was a big, my mm -hmm. older brother. I must, must say, I'm, I'm not that old, <laughs> am I? Uh, my older brother is a big fan mm -hmm. of them. And uh, when I went to high school, my senior year of high school, it turned out that uh, uh, several of my uh, nerd friends were uh, all Fire Sign Theater fans, mm -hmm. and so would uh, penny lines about. And then it turned out that the actual Fire Sign Theater group. Uh, lived up at Santa Barbara where I went to uh, college and uh, one of their uh, uh, skits was about uh, George Papoon uh, running for president of the United States uh, and uh, under the platform not insane <laughs> and he said he was the only one who was certified the only presidential candidate who was certifiably not insane because he had the uh, certificate they'd given him on uh, release from the asylum that said he'd recovered and was no longer insane <laughs> Um, and his shtick was wearing a paper bag over his head. I think uh, Pat Paulson, did Pat Paulson yeah. do something similar? I can't remember. But anyway, George Papoon had the uh, paper bag and the uh, Papoon balloon. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a, a wonderful thing where uh, I had a uh, uh, Buick convertible, and so I uh, drove around the uh, Santa Barbara campus uh, with uh, uh, George Papoon with the bag over his head in the back seat and uh, them uh, filming it for a uh, fireside theater thing. So that was... Uh, that was fun. So, you, you know, every, everyone has their own heroes and, uh, you know, creators they follow. And then uh, getting to meet them is a lot of fun. Um, so let's see. Uh, the Quest for Glory Omnipedia. Someone uh, 
posted, don't poke the Antwerp. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, the uh, Antwerp creature was uh, when Laurie uh, went to the artist and said, uh, why don't you all, uh, you know, come up and uh, design uh, some sort of a, uh, you know, creature that could be in the game. And, and they came up with the one inspired by the, uh, um, was it the, uh, was it the things that you box it's with? It's the romper room. Bouncy thing. Uh, bouncy thing you sat on it was looked a little like an antwerp with with horns on the head and you bounced on it like a huge rubber ball was where <laughs> what was the inspiration for the design anyway so uh then we remembered a, a friend of ours who's uh, very ticklish talked about how she had a safe word for when she was being tickled and she picked the safe word antwerp if she said antwerp that that meant that, uh, you know, because if you just say, stop tickling me, you know, that's just uh, incitement to tickle people exactly. more. Better to so have everybody word. had a safe word that if they said meant, there's no fun anymore, stop exactly. right now. And so hers was Antwerp. And we decided that uh, with a W in the middle of it, Antwerp is just a very silly name in English. So it all came together. So, you, you know, just stuff in our games comes from uh, everywhere. So it's like uh, Antwerp's uh, origin and roots in BDSM, it sounds like. Well, probably. <laughs> but we don't actually maybe, go into maybe. that part, you know? <laughs> You're a little less on the nose. We yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so our games are all sweetness and innocence and, uh, and light. Um, we, uh, uh, Lori made a uh, uh, video trailer for Hero U talking and talked about romance. And one of the scenes she used to illustrate uh, romance was uh, uh, a, yeah, a wolf uh, licking a shot in the face. And people were like, ooh, bestiality. And we're like, no. <laughs> but, you know, to us, you know, romance is, you know, good times mm. and romantic relationships and so on. And we don't. You know, we don't think of romance and sex as being synonymous, but apparently uh, some people do. <laughs> so, you never know how people will take something. Well, this is the internet after all. Yeah. yeah. It is, most... and if it could be misinterpreted in a salacious way, hmm. it's going yeah. to be. Yes, and the most innocent things mm -hmm, we do. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. I'm curious about your writing process do you guys uh Lori, i know you know obviously a head head of the, the writing department and everything but as as a couple using that to your benefit do you find yourselves just filling your evenings talking aloud uh, about potential canon or head canon ideas for the games to an extent and that's what you do in bed it's you know <laughs> when, you know instead of sleeping you're late at night and say well what about this and uh it generally our communication is late at night when you know past the time where we should have gone to bed or fallen asleep uh so yeah actually we got a question about that in ama uh you know what's it like to be a romantic couple and said well i don't know how much romance there is at this point but uh <laughs> um, you know but we do sometimes roll over in bed and uh start floating ideas and bouncing them back and forth <laughs> usually that turns into a usually turns into an argument of well that's the stupidest thing i ever heard and, but then it says but what if you know and then we'd start you know uh riffing off the ideas and uh you know, we have a lot of fun with these arguments, and uh, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, out of one of the, I, I'm I'm famous for saying just completely off the wall stupid things, and um, Lori's the more serious one who will uh, sometimes take my really stupid ideas and say, well, maybe there's a 
Maybe there's a grain of something useful in there. <laughs> Let's meet in the Maybe middle. It's not just it. a stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the fun's probably working out the compromise to see how it would get it to work the way you want it to. Yeah. Against the uh, arguments of the other person. Yeah, and it is a everything's a compromise anyway. Whenever you're making games, you know you're compromising and you're you're trying to get you know come up with ways to justify everybody in the team doing stuff and so um. Games are all, you know, improvisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yours in particular. Uh, but realistically speaking, Lori uh-huh, does about yeah. 90% of it, and I come in once in a while and, and try to put in my two cents worth. Okay. And uh, and then, Lori, are you are you more of like a sit down and write, or or as it comes to you, rush to a pen and paper and, and throw it down? I Honestly, I will sit in bed you know, just sitting in bed, literally lying down, and think about what's going on. I'll plan these things all out in my head, uh, just in the quiet of being alone and uh, not doing anything other than sitting. Right. So that's, and I, I don't bother to write down a lot of things until I actually use it. So I do have a very good memory for relationships and what I'm doing. Details, maybe not so much, but what I'm trying to get to is is what I keep track of. Right. So you mean you can't tell me what that one pixel in game five means, you know, three, mm-hmm. on day no. three? No. <laughs> I can't even tell you what that joke meant, huh. you know. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, but that I wrote. I I do wonder, Lori, if you could tell me. I was I was reading an interview with you in the Quest for Glory Five Strategy Guide, and you mentioned that you were working on the multiplayer version of Dragonfire. What was that supposed to be about? Well, that one was going to be more of a combat-oriented thing, where you played either Elsa or Magnus Opus, and or the hero. And you would compete in a um, pared-down contest of to be king. Hmm. That's kind of cool. So it's sort of like the arena in Quest for Glory 5. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To take the battle elements, yeah. Yes, to take the battle elements, and uh, you would play together, and but you're competing at the same time. So it was not really... Now, that, really was, cool. one of th- that was one of the two multiplayer versions of it, because the first one... Yeah. Uh, that Sierra approached us, or actually Yosemite Entertainment, which was the uh, division of Sierra and uh, Oakhurst, uh, uh, approached Lori and said uh, uh, that they wanted to rebrand their their game, The Realm, uh, which was about to come out in a few months, uh, as World of Quest for Glory. And they wanted to know if we could uh, uh, write some quests for it. Uh, and we had the meeting, and um, I asked, uh, okay, well, what kind of a, you know, what have you got so far for quests? Uh, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, quest uh, editor and quest engine do you have? And they sort of looked at me and said, uh, quest interface, quest <laughs> engine? Are we supposed to have something like that? And at which point we kind of said, I don't think you can turn that game uh, into a world of Quest for Glory on mm-hmm. such a short notice. Not quite. <laughs> so, you know, they had a game in which, uh, you know, that had great multiplayer interactivity and mm-hmm. uh, character development system and combat, but they really hadn't put any thought at all into how quests were going to go into the game. Well, then is World of Warcraft close to what you imagined you might have created? Uh, in many ways, yes. Yeah, we, what we would have liked to. I mean, yeah. believe me. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we would have actually made something that good. 
Uh, <laughs> that was a huge team. Well, can't. yes, and, and in things like World of Warcraft, they have gnomes, just like my gnomes. Effectively, we all like the idea of nutty gnomes. Exactly, <laughs> and it's kind of like it's a fantasy world that fans help to create and promote. At least that's kind of what you were looking uh-huh. at doing. So. Mm-hmm. We do know many of the uh, de- designers and developers in the World of Warcraft teams uh, uh, are have been Quest for Glory fans, mm-hmm. uh, and not so, so much. Yeah, though. no, I've I've heard that, Lori, from several people there. Okay, uh, and uh, you know they they said that you know they took some ideas from Quest for Glory, but uh, uh, you know I would not you know certainly would not say that it's based on Quest for Glory or anything like that. No, but no. you know we uh, everybody steals from everybody I else. I do know that the head artist of the cinematic team is a Quest for Glory fan. Cool. Which one was that? Taryn Gregory. Oh, oh, really? Uh, what was the yeah, first name? Yeah, I remember one Taren, time uh, posting Taren about... Gregory. Uh, he posted okay. about what music you listen to while doing uh, your crafting stuff, and uh, I posted that I listened to uh, Sierra soundtrack, specifically Quest for Glory, and he uh, excitedly replied back with uh, that he liked Quest for Glory. That's and awesome. I was like, bonus points for him. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, one of the nice things about uh, the uh, Blizzard developers is uh, they are all gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the, the weird thing for us when we went to Sierra is that uh, there were so few gamers working at Sierra. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and, of course, you know, when you're working uh, 10, 12-hour days, uh, you don't have a whole lot of time for gaming. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, we, we we naively thought that we'd come out to Oakhurst and, uh, uh, you know, immediately get a D&D group together and stuff or get invited to a D&D game and discover that now there were like, you know, one or two D&D players at the company. <laughs> and, uh, eventually, a few of them started, uh, Stuart Mulder started a board gaming group, but, you know, there hadn't even been much of that. So there was not much gaming going on there. No, I guess that's what you were looking for. That's what you started with. And, and I think, I mean, yep. it's so influenced the Quest for Glory games, your, your tabletop gaming and all that. It's, it's just, it's visible in every aspect because it was nothing like what Sierra was doing before. Yeah. And, um, honestly, I'd like to make games that are slightly different each time and and not pull from the same mythology effectively that we've done with Quest for Glory and that. But, it's such a rich, you know, mythology. There's so much more we could tell. That's why the summer days at Hero U are the same world. It's because that's just the setting, and you know, it makes a great start for anything. Yeah, yeah it's it's also because of fan demands. Because uh, we've had, uh, you know, uh, you know, fans come to us and say, you know, I really wanted to learn more about uh, Elsa, or you know. Uh, what's you know what's Rakesh's story and stuff like that, and we start thinking about it and say, huh, we could do a whole game about that, uh, you know, whichever one. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's there's a reason why we kind of stay in the same universe, but uh, yeah, there's obviously different styles of games we could be making. I I had a wonderful time making Castle Doctor Brain, and um, we've we've talked about me making a puzzle game uh, for Transolar and. Uh, came up with two different concepts, one of which is uh, based on some short stories that Laurie wrote in our magazine, The Spellbook, uh, on uh, consulting magicians, uh, sort of a riff off Sherlock Holmes, except the guy is a wizard instead of uh, um, a little like Harry Dresden, uh, but uh, more comical. Um, and, uh, and then we decided that, oh, we can't do that one because uh, she wanted to write the stories and uh, she was too busy with summer days. So uh, then we came up with uh, Puzzleworthy, uh, um, with an entirely different uh, setting, more of a science fictional and kind of a uh, 30s uh, uh, 
you know, Art Deco look and stuff like that. Um, and entirely different game. Uh, Laura Bow meets Castle Dr. Brain, I guess. <laughs> Ooh, but, uh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> and that's the one that, uh, that's the one that we may be doing, but first I have to come up some, with some puzzles. And I discovered that, uh, uh, the problem is that, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing, I could just come up with stuff and, uh, eventually get it to work. Uh, although, uh, all making Castle Dr. Brain was very hard. Um, but, uh, today I'm like, well, I have to do better than that. I have to make really great puzzles. And then of course you get writer's block because it's really hard to come up with really great puzzles uh, that haven't been done before. It, it was so much fun watching you play Dr. Brain on your Twitch stream, you guys. I mean, <laughs> so... go through the puzzles and play your own. Oh, I just can't get over how neat that is to watch. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I can do I could do another you know set of puzzles just like the ones in Castle Doctor Brain and mm -hmm. that'd be pretty doable. But there you know things I wanted to do like uh, uh, for the arithmetic puzzle, I wanted to have a either generated or a database for that so that uh, mm. you couldn't just read the answers online. You'd have to uh, actually <laughs> solve the puzzle each time. Um, the internet. And then <laughs> you know lately I began to question that and say, do people actually want challenging hard games or would they? Uh, <laughs> You know, they rather have ones that they can get through and can win. Mm, nowadays, that's um, a good question. There's a novelty to both. See, but yeah, you so have... If I know ahead of time, mm -hmm. I'm I'm cool with it. But if it's like you know, I'm I just want to hop into a game for like you know, five ten minutes. I don't want to be spending that trying to solve one puzzle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's. Game style to be wanting to solve puzzles, where rather than just going through a game like. World of Warcraft, where you're just doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, World of Warcraft is more activities than puzzles. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and eventually you either like doing those activities or you don't. Or you enjoy the, uh, you know, you're goal-oriented and you're trying to get a certain amount of currency or something. So you keep doing the activities to get that currency. Uh, so it's more of a process than a goal. Um, yeah. Whereas, I do have uh, a bit of a know, question game, here that's kind of a backtracking. I'm sorry? I do have a bit of a question here. It's a little bit backtracking because you guys were talking about yeah. making the different types of games. What was actually the genesis for uh, changing up the uh, settings, going from like medieval Germany to Arabian Nights to the Sahara Desert and uh, Savannah or whatever? What I mean, was that? Uh, just because you wanted to change the setting, or you know, just just something that happened. Well, we wanted but, to make a really epic uh, experience and have a wide variety of environments. Because the whole anachronicity of this, uh, one of the, my favorite things of the series. Starting out in Germany was a choice because we were, we wanted to start where everybody was familiar with the kind of mythology we were going to pull through initially. You know, the idea of the fairy tale land mm -hmm. that everybody you know, who, who read these things would have as a commonality or anybody that played King's Quest kind of had the commonality and knew what they were, the kind of world we were getting into so that they felt familiar. And so they had this, you know, their own backstory that they could pull on to know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So okay. then. Yeah, or, or Tolkien, you know, that uh, had yes. that, uh, you know, that uh, Western European setting. So, mm -hmm. uh we knew that we wanted to do something more exotic, uh, but we decided uh, that, you know, we didn't know if we were actually be making more than one game here. certainly didn't know if they were going to let us make more than one game. Mm -hmm. uh, so we decided we would stay with a traditional, you know, Western European setting that uh, 
uh, you know, fantasy fans would be comfortable with. Uh, but we wanted to break that comfort as soon as we could. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. You know, a few moments ago, we were, we were uh, talking a, a little bit about Dr. Brain. And, and so, Corey, I, I don't even really have a specific question for you. I just kind of wanted to hear your take on what that whole experience was like for you to do Dr. Brain. Well, uh, you know, where it started out was that uh, uh, Ken Williams called a meeting of all the designers and producers and um, executive management at Sierra and said basically uh, – that you know, we are we basically we have won the game at uh, graphic adventure games. We own that market, uh, and if we're going to expand, uh, we need to branch out. And uh, that he just felt that there was uh, very rich opportunities available in the uh, uh, entertainment or educational uh, game space. Um, and so he asked each of the designers to come up with five or ten uh, proposals for. Uh, educational games that uh, they thought would be fun and they'd like to make. Uh, and then he gave uh, two examples, I think, of uh, you know the type of games he was looking for. And one of those examples uh, was something called the Mathematical Mansion, uh, that you would have basically uh, you know a series of mathematical puzzles that you would need to solve in order to, to do things. So, uh, uh, you know, we kind of... Uh, uh, you know, having an idea of uh, how to sell things to uh, uh, to executives said, uh, you know, for one of my proposals, I made sure that I had the proposal Castle of Dr. Mm -hmm. Brain uh, that was inspired by the Mathematical Mansion. I said this will be a series of, uh, uh, you know, logic and uh, mathematical and word puzzles that, uh, uh, you know, that will let you uh, advance through this uh, uh, this castle. Um, and, uh, you know, then I gave the basic storyline, you know, I just, we each wrote, you know, just a, like a couple paragraphs on each proposal or maybe a page. Um, and then Lori, um, uh, did you want to talk about, uh, fairy tales or want me to? Well, we just, you know, I said, okay, mixed up mother goose was, was a very popular game, but I thought it could be extended and I thought it should be mixed up fairy tales. And that's what I proposed at the same time. And then we proposed about seven, eight, ten games in addition to those. But those were the ones that were chosen. So the point to that is uh, Mixed Up Mother Goose was designed by Roberta Williams, who was in on the meeting, and uh, Ken and Roberta were the two main deciders for which uh, proposals to go with. So Ken, of course, loved Castle Dr. Brain because it... Uh, riffed off of his idea for Mathematical Mansion, and Roberta, of course, loved mixed up fairy tales because it riffed off a game she'd made. Well, well played, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, the third one was uh, EcoQuest. That was uh, oh, uh, Gano Hain and uh, Jane Jensen. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that was the genesis of it. Uh, they said, go ahead and make a prototype. Uh, I got assigned uh, John Bach, uh, who later did Lighthouse, um, uh, to... Uh, you know, do uh, art for it, and uh, uh, I picked one one scene of the game, which was the code room, uh, with the hangman game, and so on, um, and uh, the prototype of that. Uh, and uh, uh, they liked it, but they decided uh, to assign a different artist when we actually did the project and got Andy Hoyos to do it. Uh, and that was actually quite a wonderful decision because Andy did just. Uh, you know, I, I said, you know, I want this to be kind of weird and wacky, and he came up with the idea of uh, making. Uh, 
you know, all the hallways curved and everything on curves instead of, uh, um, you know, plain rectangular things and like the very wacky uh, design for the outside of the castle. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, meanwhile, Lori went off to uh, do uh, some uh, self-improvement courses with LifeSpring. Uh, and I was uh, uh, alone trying to come up with the initial puzzles for it. And I said, okay, this will be easy. I'll get a bunch of those uh, uh, puzzle books everyone buys from uh, uh, bookstores, uh, magazines, uh, shelves, and so on. Uh, and I started looking through them and found out that, uh, you know, when I got like a dozen different uh, puzzle books, that they had like four or five different types of puzzles repeated yeah, over and over. Right, right. And that not only that, but they weren't ones that worked well on a computer. And so I was in complete despair and panic. Uh, and I did a little bit of work on, and I called up Lori and says, you got to co come home, you know, uh, uh, you know, get out of your class, come home and help me with this. And she said, nope, I'm doing this. Uh, <laughs> and you can figure it out. You're good. And a uh, little, little tough love there. Um, so it was, a it was a really, really terrifying, but it was also, uh, the most fulfilling thing I've ever done, uh, to come up with, uh, original puzzles that. Uh, you know, of course, they're not not entirely original. Like the, uh, you know, front door is the uh, uh, similar to the old game Simon. Um, uh, so, you know, I did do some derivative stuff, and then there's an acrostic, and uh, there's a magic square, and so on. So they're, you know, all, all things that uh, were known puzzles. But uh, uh, my my wonderful game plan of uh, stealing ideas from puzzle books didn't work at all. Uh, the elevator, the three-dimensional elevator <laughs> maze, I'm rather proud of, and uh, I know a lot of people hate it because <laughs> it's actually hard. Yeah, the, the art direction in the game is, is fantastic. It, it, it captures what, what I personally like about, uh, about the other team's game, about, about some of the LucasArts games where, where, I don't know, Sam and Max, perhaps the monkey games, where, you know, like you said, it has kind of bendy walls and you know, a more cartoonish feel to it that fits really well. It's lovely. <laughs> And then for the uh, sound design, we had uh, Mark Siebert, uh, who uh, also did the uh, uh, the hero theme for uh, Heroes Quest. I guess he did most most or all of the music in the original Heroes Quest, Quest for Glory One. Uh, and he came up with the idea of using a uh, uh, classical music soundtrack behind Demix of Fairy Tales. Where did you do that, Louie? Actually, it was the it was our producer that came up with that uh, idea. Is that is that Jay or who did it? It was uh, you know. Uh, you said his name earlier. Mark Mark Sieber? No, no, that wasn't our my producer. It was <laughs> okay. uh, my producer was uh, the board games. Oh, uh, Stuart Mulder. Stuart Mulder Mulder. He was a great producer. I really enjoyed having us. Yeah, he was he was amazing. Uh, he got me to read the book uh, People Wear, uh, and uh, along with uh, the Mythical Man Month, and uh, really you know had studied. Uh, software management and how to work with developers and stuff. A brilliant guy who later went on to uh, Microsoft and became an executive in their uh, Xbox uh, division. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we came up with the idea of classical music for that. And then uh, talking with uh, Mark about what to do with music for Castle Dr. Brain, he said, uh, you know, what about uh, rock ballads? And well, I had no idea what a rock ballad was, but I said, okay, we'll give it a try. Uh, and you know, came up with the you know more metal and uh, rock uh, soundtrack for Castle Doctor Brain. It just it just really worked fantastically and set off the uh, the artwork and the, the the wackiness of the game. So just everybody, you know, it's games are a team effort. You know, it's not like we design a game and that's the game. 
uh, we come up with the ideas for the game and, you know, do the writing for the game. But uh, what the game is, is the collaboration between everybody and in the team. Artists have a huge uh, effect on the game. It's, you know, the, the cartoony characters for Quest mm-hmm. for Glory 1, mm-hmm. uh, Heroes Quest, definitely affected how the tone of the mm-hmm. game was. And I'm very, very proud of uh, the, the J.P. Selwood's art. We've really done a lot with his mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and he's very versatile. So you've got a very, we have that great look for mm-hmm. Rogue Redemption. I, we have a very stylized, simple, simple style for the Summer Days mm-hmm. series. Um, and of course, any game we're going to do in the future was Probably, unless it's in the summer days, you know, uh, um, mm-hmm. genre, we'll probably change the art style mm-hmm. yet again to fit the mood of the game. Yeah, so, uh, you know, you guys talk about, uh, you know, uh, kind of a uh, hero worship on uh, your favorite developers. Well, we have uh, our art meetings every week, and practically every week, uh, J.P. Selwood comes up with something new that we're just kind of gushing <laughs> at you know it's it's a it's not very professional we're in tv it's, it's too, you know, just too good i mean we we want to feed the artist's mm-hmm. egos uh we want them to uh have confidence because that is one of the biggest problems of being an artist is you always see the flaws mm-hmm. in your own work and certainly you know as game designers and writers we see the flaws on our own huh. work uh, but you still have to fight through that and uh, get exactly. something done and, but JP is just, just so good, as Lori said, so versatile that, uh, you know, we never know what we're going to get from him, but we do know it'll be, be beautiful. Well, Sierra was really good for that. I mean, getting us to love you guys and the artists and the developers and, and pretty much anybody involved in the game because there would be jokes about them and they'd be included in the game. It's the only company in my life that I've ever encountered that made me just as excited about meeting Lori and Corey or Al or, you know, um, Mark Crow as, as anybody else because in the game, like they, they're characters as well. You guys were real to us. You were also characters and you were the game. Like it was just, I don't know. It was something completely unique. And it was an unusual thing. No. Mm-hmm. Well, even afterwards, you don't see very many games posted that well, there's just, uh, exactly. They have the, developer's name i'm right currently reading uh, sid meyer's oh, it's so memoir, good Corey, isn't it isn't it? it i just i finally got it digitally oh, it is yeah. brilliant i love it highly recommended go get that memoir yeah it came out mm-hmm. last fall but i just heard about it a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and immediately picked it up mm-hmm. and it's just amazing i knew it would be i play his games too much not for it to have been oh so good so smart uh yeah the fallacy of that the reason why companies mm-hmm. don't do it is because they don't want they they don't want to turn somebody else into, you know, the the, the reason by mm. the game because you can't always keep the employees right. or the person. Right. So that's why Sierra moved away from mm. it too mm. later on. And credits were not important because they want the company to be the well, important. Well, yeah, later thing. as you were getting closer to the event. Although kind of mm. short-sighted, we always felt. You know, we we fought hard to get all the team members into. Uh, uh, credits in the manual and in the game because uh, yes you know it's a, the game is a you know it's a sum total of the people working on it exactly we even knew who ken and, was as uh, kids and it wasn't easy we had to fight mm-hmm. for that at times i imagine so 
Yeah, it it kind of goes to show, uh, you can see it best in effect where we recently interviewed uh, Noah Faustine over at LucasArts. I actually wasn't, unfortunately wasn't able to make it, it was Rick and Anna, but, but the the point is, is that the, um, it was a great interview, lovely, lovely, very talented man. Um, but the, the, the numbers are, are, are lower on that than we kind of would expect listener wise when you compare it to, to you guys and Al Lowe and, and obviously Ken and Roberta, et cetera. So it, it just kind of goes to show like, you know, we, we know you guys by name and, and, you know, Scott and Mark, et cetera, and Christy and, and Jane, so on and so forth. Whereas, you know, Noah, did huge things for for a classic adventure games besides the face of Atlantis. You know, worked on some you know some uh, amazing games over at LucasArts, but people don't know his name like they do the Sierra yeah, people. Yeah, it's interesting because you know we know uh, Noah. I can't say we you know we know him well, but we're we're very well acquainted with him from a lot of uh, uh, you know game designer conferences and stuff. We. Uh, uh, or part of the super secret game design <laughs> workshop group uh, that uh, Noah is one mm-hmm. of the founders of. Uh, and he's a good guy, but we didn't actually know that he had worked so much on these games. You know, I've only recently found uh, you know, how many things he had his, uh, uh, his fingers in. And uh, like uh, Sid's book, I just learned that uh, uh, he credits uh, Noah for coming up with the um, uh, insult yep. sword fighting in uh, Secret of Monkey Island, exactly. which was just an absolutely brilliant mechanic. Isn't it though? Yeah, and which he talks about uh, and, a little uh, bit in so, our uh, yeah. podcast episode. So when you're done reading Sid Meier's book, you know, have a listen to our oh. Noah Faustine episode. It's it's pretty good. He's done some amazing stuff. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll definitely have to. But yeah, we know, we know him more mm-hmm. as a producer uh, than as a uh, designer, uh, developer, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know, it's interesting. He that, he equates game you know, design his, to food in a way that's in. just absolutely lovely. You'll have to hear him talk about it. <laughs> okay. Oh, and he's had so he has some great stories. I remember him talking about the, I mean, and he went back before we did in the mm-hmm. game industry. So his uh, anecdotes about early uh, mistakes in the arcade mm-hmm. games is really, you know, interesting. Yeah, he so, had a yeah. hilarious story about the one that they put a camera in so that people could uh, uh, put their face uh, up with their credits. <laughs> and said that they did a test in a local arcade and very quickly yanked Oh, those. no. <laughs> put your face up. Right. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yes. In the arcade. Literally, they thought, oh, what could go wrong with that? It's exactly. in public. Well, oh, guess what? Boy. That's <laughs> Again, amazing. Where there's a will, there will be somebody that finds a way. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, great, uh, great conversationalist and raconteur. Uh, so yeah, lots of uh, lots of hidden heroes in the uh, game industry. Uh, you know, we've lost a few people from our teams. Uh, Ken Nishue, uh died young, and mm. Carlos Escobar was uh, the infamous programmer at uh, Sierra that yeah. you know always had the acerbic uh, wit, and was uh, the one who got us all into. Uh, you know, joining uh, up to my lottery tickets and such. This was the real total character and. Uh, he died a few years ago at like age 45, so it was just uh, oh. very sad, you know, all the, the people that uh gone from us far too mm-hmm. soon. So we, uh, we're we starting to feel, uh, we turned 65 this year, so we're starting to feel, uh, maybe we're not Aww. kids anymore. I'm, I'm on a... We, were, we weren't kids when we were at Sierra, though. I mean, we were over 30 when we started at Sierra, which was really old at the time for a it's game. It's true. You know, in our heads, we would have pictured you guys to have been a bunch of, like, 18-year-olds fresh yeah. off. But it's like, oh, no, actually, a whole bunch of people, you guys and Al, mm-hmm. were yeah. much older. And I think that that's fantastic. Yeah. But we never lost our love of gaming. That's what kept, the you know, some of us in the industry. 
is, is that we joy games. We love it. We do this because it is our life's work. Yeah, Lori, Lori spent her whole life uh, preparing to become a, a game director without ever uh, knowing that such a thing existed because uh, uh, she was a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, a creative writing uh, minor, uh, uh, you know, s school teaching credentials, uh, uh, took art classes and, hmm. uh, and got interested in animation uh, film animation, classes. took animation classes, wow. and, um, uh, you know, and uh, did music, plays accordion. And, uh, you know, so uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, it turned out that every single thing she'd done in oh, her yeah. life uh, and, of course, playing games and. Uh, and game mastering games, every single thing she did in her life all led up to uh, the perfect combination of things that Sierra needed for Man, a, a game director. that couldn't have been orchestrated better, Lori. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, I was going to be a teacher. I was going to, you know, that was my job. I would have been that the rest of oh my, my life. God. And you I, were a you teacher. Know, like, could have gotten so a all job. Us, you guys were like our yes. very first and best teachers. You taught us to spell and you taught us not to stick lockpicks up <laughs> our nose too soon. Yes, too yes. Soon. Yes, important safety. <laughs> important safety so, tips. Yes, so the only, the only, the uh, only, uh, Qualification that Lori was missing was that uh, she wasn't Prince. a programmer, uh, so she had to marry one uh, one of those. Yeah, clearly, that was the only reason I married Corey. Obviously, I would never have been in games, uh, at computer games of all things, without Corey as a major influence there. Because after all, um, I still don't program. I may have the kind of logic to do it, but I don't have the patience or inclination. Lori was a little nervous around computers until I introduced her to WordStar and suddenly uh, she realized that she no longer ever had to make a typographical error uh, <laughs> and said, okay, that, that's a typewriter replacement. I love it. Uh, so the most important thing I learned about computers and computer games in particular is that you don't, you can't make a, a bad mistake you can always undo you can always start over and the only way to lose mm. is to quit and i thought that was the most powerful lesson one can wow. have in life is to realize that that making a mistake is not a fatal thing it is not a problem it is simply a it learning it just might be experience. a fatal exception error and i you can get a patch for that so yeah, it's okay really uh-huh. It may affect your life for a while and may screw things up, but it's not the end-all be-all of life and that you can keep going. And I thought those lessons were, you know, more important than anything you can teach in school. And I went through the uh, litany of all the times that uh, I have failed in a project or one of my projects has been canceled or I've been laid off or fired uh, or I've simply screwed up and not done a job well. Uh, it's, it's a long list, uh, and, uh, you know, keeps going on to this day. Uh, but you learn to basically pick yourself up, dust yourself off and, uh, and keep going. And that, uh, if you, uh, you know, if you uh, play enough lottery tickets, one of them might hit. That's probably, uh, a bad metaphor because those Me cost too. money. <laughs> Although I won 15 bucks on uh, one yeah. today on a $3 ticket. So, you know, you're right. At least there. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I just uh, had had that uh, discussion come up because I, I mentioned Carlos Escobar. And he uh, at one point the lottery uh, jackpot got really high, and so he convinced a bunch of us at Sierra to uh, uh, pool our money and each put in you know twenty bucks or whatever and uh, uh, buy a whole bunch of tip uh, tickets. And he had some scheme of uh, 
you know, numbers close to fives. Uh, uh, they got the, uh, you know, whole, uh, the bottle wheel of numbers. And we came really, really close to winning that lottery. Uh, as it was, I think everybody got like, uh, uh, you know, 50 bucks for the five they put in or whatever, or the 10 they put in. Uh, so uh, we actually made a profit, which is pretty rare mm. in the lottery. Uh, didn't quite actually win it. And, and our team won a Sega Genesis uh, once uh, from a Burger King yeah, uh, contest. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that had to do with eating an awful lot of Burger King food and having an awful lot of tickets. <laughs> so if you get enough tickets, sooner or later you might get a winner. And, that's, uh, and that is life. Keep, uh, keep getting tickets, but uh, preferably <laughs> ones you don't have to uh, take too much risk to get. All right, Lori, I should start entering the lottery. It's clear. <laughs> So I want to take a minute to bring up that, uh, all right, today was kind of an exciting day. Paul, you, you sent off a picture. Of course, none of you can see it because this is a podcast, but I'll explain it. It's a picture of his, uh, his screen and it's got a bunch of Switch games you can pick from. And one of the Switch games you can pick from is uh, Rogue to Redemption, Hero U. So that's super exciting. Uh, congratulations, guys. Was it a lot of, how much work was it to get it onto the uh, Nintendo? Oh, it was, uh, it was totally... Uh... Totally an insane amount of work, which is to say that uh, uh, I'm on Discord. I had set up our mm -hmm. Discord. Uh, so actually setting up the Discord was a key. We made some really good contacts mm -hmm. uh, through that. Uh, one of the guys who contacted me was this uh, guy who says, I'd like to convert uh, Hero Your Rogue Redemption to Nintendo Switch uh, through my company. Um, and, uh, of course, you know, we get all the time. We get, uh, like, voice actors wanting to be in the games and so on or people wanting to do art or programming for us or marketing. And, you know, we never know which ones are legitimate, but this time it's okay. Well, let's follow up on this and uh, talk to him. And it really sounded like he uh, knew what he was talking about. And uh, we made a deal with him. And, um, and then, uh, you know, he went off and worked on it for a while. Uh, I got a Nintendo uh, uh, developers uh, uh, thing and got a, you know, in, uh, one of their e-dev kits. Uh, and then we stopped hearing from him for a while. And I said, uh-oh, that's probably my fault. I haven't followed up on it. So uh, meanwhile, we'd been working on patches of the game on the uh, uh, Windows and uh, Mac and Linux. Uh, and we finally had what I thought was a pretty stable version of the game that you know was much better than the original uh, release. So I, I let him know we had an update. And he said, oh, great. You know, we've just about got our version working. And so he, uh, uh, and you say, this is the right one. Okay, so we got all the new ver uh, stuff in the version. Uh, uh, a couple months after that, they had uh, the game fully up and running, and uh, he sent me a document on what they were going to do with the user interface to make it work with the Nintendo that was very detailed and pretty good. And, uh, and so, yes, yeah, Silesia Games of Poland uh, did all the real work on uh, getting us onto a Switch. Uh, and then I made a decision that was the opposite of what we did for the initial launch, is uh, uh, when we originally launched... Uh, uh, Rogue Redemption on PC platforms. Uh, we decided not to spend any money on, uh, uh, you know, marketing and publicity. Then, you know, just kind of let word of mouth carry it, and it was disappointing. Did not do as well as uh, we hoped it would. So this time, uh, uh, I hired uh, Emily Morganti, uh, who uh, whose name you may not have heard, but she is uh, very famous in the adventure game industry as uh, the publicist for Telltale Games and. Uh, uh, Watch and I and uh, Ron Gilbert and uh, all kinds of things. And so she's the uh, the adventure game expert. And so she has been uh, developing a publicity campaign for us. And we're hoping that we can uh, 
a really big splash by relaunching on the uh, Nintendo Switch, uh, correcting most or all the mistakes that we made the first time around. Uh, we chose a uh, $20 uh, price point as opposed to our original $35 on PC because uh, 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 we didn't think 35 would wash on the Switch. Uh, and uh, we hope this is really going to be, uh, you know, the start of something beautiful. So we're very, very excited that it's out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, amount of work I had to do, oh, not much. That's good because you guys – talk. Letting other people know, uh, you know, you're doing it all simultaneously, right? I mean, are, aren't you working on like voice acting and casting for uh, for summer days? I mean, you've got a lot of projects on the go right now. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have a successful company, uh, uh, and this applies to anyone who wants to be a writer, by the way, uh, if you th you think you want to write novels, or you want to write games or create games, uh, you can't go out there and create a finished novel or finished game. And send it off to publishers, and wait, and go back and forth, and uh, get a bunch of rejections, and edit it, and so on. Uh, you'll spend years at that, and what you really need to do is what we call pipeline. Uh, so you basically, you finish writing a book, you immediately start on, if you haven't already, start in your next book and be writing that while you're waiting to hear from publishers on the first one. Uh, so we do the same thing. So we have, uh, you know, three or four projects in the pipeline at any given yeah. time. So we have uh, uh, Hero U for the uh, uh, Switch. Uh, we have uh, finished principal writing on, and art for uh, Summer Days at Hero U, Tilly's Tale. We actually broke Summer Days up into two <laughs> games. Uh, and uh, we did the voice recording. We got uh, Dave Gilbert of Watch and I to uh, uh, direct the voice oh, recording so for us. That. And, oh, he's uh, so organized. We now need to yeah. do an engineering phase mm -hmm. on that. Uh, and break that sound out. And meanwhile, Lori has started writing stories uh, that show uh, you Peo's uh, adventure. Mm -hmm. uh, and in theory, uh, and our artists have started doing some prototypes for uh, uh, Puzzleworthy. And that's waiting for me to be uh, a little mm -hmm. more productive. But uh, yeah, if you don't have those things in the pipeline, uh, you end up with these big gaps of time where you don't need any artists. But what are you going to do? Are you going to lose your art team? Because they'll all leave for other projects. Mm -hmm. So you always want to have uh, multiple uh, irons in the fire. I imagine so. Now, um, time's getting on. I do want to ask because I, I have listener mailbag, which is coming up shortly. But if if you, Josh, have any other questions that you would like to ask before we move on as well. I kind of have uh, two. Uh, one I wanted to know about, uh, you happen to have like a bird theme going on with the heroes that, and here are you, the Hero from Quest for Glory was into four different people, Hawk, Falcon, Ren, and Owl. Uh, is there any significance to the bird naming motif you have going on there? Well, all right. Those names came out of the novel that uh, I wrote about Quest for Glory, quote-unquote. We really filed off the serial numbers of Quest for Glory and retold the story Um with a way that solved the problem. Um, my co-writer came up with this idea of having, instead of doing every character class, we'd have a different uh, family of kids. Each one was a different character class. And I thought that was a brilliant way of handling it. And the idea of the name of the birds, well, um, it really kind of fit their personality in a, in a sense, which character got which name. Uh, except for Ren, who claims herself as Fox. Um, 
but it was the idea that the people where where they arrived in the first place when they the the, the pre-story of of how these kids arrived in this remote village in in you know the alpine uh, uh, forests of germany type of thing um and nobody could understand their what they were saying so they said they suddenly appeared there they must have been you know brought here by the birds of course cuz everybody thinks if somebody's magically brought there it had to be birds uh, so Is that, that's uh, sort of only... like uh, mm-hmm. babies coming from the stork uh, yeah yeah like yeah, bringing in the sense. stork the stork clearly <laughs> brought them well now we know their parents name <laughs> uh the parents name is it was insignificant I and there's a whole other uh, there's a prologue uh, uh, oh, yeah. the book that uh, uh, the gypsy's tale that uh, uh, Laurie and uh, uh, do you write it or Michelle you and Michelle yeah we both wrote yeah, it yeah they I collaborate think. on it. so anyway it uh, basically uh, tells the uh, the secret backstory as to uh, uh, how these people ended up in that village and uh, it really uh, uh, you know gives an entire different uh, look at the story and sort of ties in with, uh, well, it kind of sort of ties in with Quest for Glory, Somaria, yeah. but not really. So the book does kind of deviate from what the actual game does, because for me, the real thing that the game does is it says anybody can be a hero. And certainly you start out as a amateur doofus who has no you know significant backstory and is is you know anything that the player wants them to be but they aren't the chosen one they're certainly not a chosen by anybody's standards except by their own well except for some prophecies there's prophecies but you could only come in from the east Right. There was no other yes, way. That's it. Precisely. Anybody could have fulfilled a prophecy. It's just that you happen to be the one that actually did. So that's the whole trick. It is not that somebody had to be genetically or, you know, uh, the right son of the king to do these things. It's that anybody could have done it, but you're the one that did. Right. Uh, right. And the problem I had a little bit with the book is it does say that you're you know these kids are the the offspring of a king and that's why they have these special magic items that they start out with and and not a particularly likable king either well no but you know he's he's a bit arrogant and but he is a king uh so yeah it does kind of lose the uh every man uh, uh idea of the games so Maybe it wasn't the right backstory, but I don't know. I like it. It's a story. I it's, mean, it's a good story. It, and it goes its own direction. And you said you had one other question, Josh. You might as well get that in there. Yeah, this one's the uh, probably kind of uh, controversial, but it was. Uh, I wanted to uh, kind of like get a final say on your thoughts on like the the definitive. Is he actually named Devin Aidendale? <laughs> no. He's absolutely not Devin Aidendale. <laughs> Um, I, I, if somebody, if somebody wants to be Devonated, that's okay with us. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the whole idea is uh, again this this everyman concept, uh, and the hero is exactly who you choose to make right. the hero. Who so you this affi- officially decanonizes the name Devon Aidendale. 
Oh, please. Yes. Yeah, yeah afraid so. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was the name that was picked by uh, Lori's co-author of the uh, Prima Strategy Guides. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And it was appropriate for those books for her to name the character and give it an identity uh, so that she could tell stories about a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the games are all about, uh, uh, you know, being uh, not yourself so much, but the hero that uh, that that is within you. And so the, uh, the hero is you. And that's why we have this new uh, game series called Hero <laughs> You. It's a play on the hero within you and Hero University. Uh, and that's the grown-up version of the School for Heroes that we did in the web. Uh, that we uh, went to the next uh, the next level with the Hero You. But uh, uh, the Hero Within You definitely is a theme of the game. Sean is actually, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a hmm. special person with a, a destiny. Um, but... Uh, you know, the player makes the decisions. Yeah, of don't who expect he really him is. to be like uh, top of the top of the class there on your first playthrough. It's uh, it's not going to happen. It's not. Yeah, no, no, it, it is not easy. easy. I didn't get it on my first at all or my second. So, so I've got just a, a light-hearted one, just just to have fun with one in a desperate attempt to not ask you guys something you've been you've been asked before. Sorry. <laughs> um, all right, so. It kind of kind of goes back to our earlier chat about the hero worship or, or kind of the, the celebrity dumb, which is not a word unless you force it to be one, which I just did. Um, <laughs> that's life canon now. Um, so you, we're all obviously kind of fascinated with, with, with you guys, with, with the, the two guys, uh, with Jane, with everybody at Sierra at the time. So I'm wondering, uh, probably I'm guessing a different answer from each of you, but if you were given the task of writing the next sierra game uh from from one of your colleagues at the time what would you pick so in other words would you pick you know a space quest title or oh, interesting etc et of the uh, other games out there i want to see you guys actually do at least you shoot larry three four yeah, <laughs> four, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't have been four. my choice i'll tell you <laughs> um actually I'm... if yeah go ahead go ahead go you go ahead i was, I was thinking i was thinking mm. space quest uh there are uh, they're, you know, those are really cool. Ca- of course, they don't need us. Space Quest doesn't need us. I mean, Mark and Scott have got their own thing going and do it really well. And their own type of humor. So we wouldn't be able to duplicate that kind of humor. Honestly, though, the world that intrigued me the most was Gabriel Knight. Uh-huh. And nice, I would have yeah. loved to have done something with that kind of thing, and I would have loved to do something with that, you know, Tim Curry as the voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, I not that I actually played any of her games. Sorry to say, I just don't play adventure games. But I loved her stories that she was mm-hmm. doing. Well, yeah, and writer first and foremost for sure. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. So the Sierra game that we'd really like to make a sequel of is uh, Monkey Island. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, uh, or uh, or alternatively, you guys could probably do something cool with like uh, the Conquest series, like maybe uh, Conquest of Charlemagne or something. Yeah, I don't. I would not be that type of person though, because uh, Christy did a grand job, and she knew her history oh, yes. and she her really her did. you know her past and that passion for the history and and the real stories behind the mythos. That takes work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's easier to make this yeah. stuff up. 
Yeah, yeah. comment uh, Ken Williams made Very in uh, his book on uh, not all fairy tales of happy endings. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken Williams commented that uh, he chose designers based on passion, uh, people yeah. that obviously really cared right. about, uh, you know, the the genre they were in, uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, I can think of lots of different, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't look to other Sierra game series. I'd probably look to uh, uh, films or TV series that we might want to uh, make into a game. Yeah, Yeah. I'm just sorry that Christy could not continue to be a game designer. Mm Because I think she would have come up with some more brilliant games. I, Mm -hmm. I really consider her one of the best of the game designers. Uh, as opposed to storytellers, which uh, Jane is an excellent storyteller, and so is Christy. But Christy also understood games. With, she understood you know, games like, and people's brains and cartoons. I even I went to a gym yep. themed party when I was a kid. Like it just oh. it was everywhere. She just was a, a part of my life in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. So that was the only sorrowful thing I had is that I would have loved to have more from Christy. Mm-hmm. And in general, here, we here. had some amazing co-workers at Sierra. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellen Guan Beeman, brilliant uh, game designer uh, and mm-hmm. writer. So, uh, you know, the, really good people. Uh, Gain O'Hain, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Josh Mandel, of course. And uh, of course. we talked uh, Josh into uh, writing comedic uh, bits in uh, uh, Hero You. And, you know, I don't know. It, you know, this. if I look back, I say maybe we kind of overdid the punmanship and that. But uh mm-hmm. Uh, no such thing. You can't overdo <laughs> it. No, no. Uh, but, you know, I was kind of trying to play off what we did in Quest for Glory and, uh, you know, really went to an extreme with that. But, uh, you know, that's what I always I have. I have fun, you know, putting in a little bit of absurdity into stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I didn't have time to do that for you and uh, Josh stepped in and took over what would have been my role. And uh, I'm so grateful he did such a great job. He did. Oh, it's so funny. That game, I mean, it's the kind of game where you can get a pun that's so bad it makes you groan and leave the room and nobody else is in the room. It's that good. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll learn you for playing our games. Exactly. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I'll, okay, well, th- this is fun. I could go on talking, but I'm not the editor, so <laughs> I'm going to move on to a listener mailbag. Uh, I've got a bunch of questions here from some fans over in the Classic Gamers Guild on Facebook. The uh, first question is from Jude Gore, and he wants to know, uh, a certain movie series bears more than a striking resemblance to The Secret of Monkey Island. Are there any movies or TV shows you've watched and thought, hang on, we did that first? Not looking for accusations or plagiarism, but more so coincidences, uh, unless there is plagiarism involved in that case. So, uh, so I assume we're talking uh, Pirates of Caribbean, uh, and that, of <laughs> course... Uh, uh, and that, of course, has, you know, the history of originally it was a ride at Disneyland, but mm-hmm. back before it was a ride at Disneyland, it was really a play off uh, the uh, Treasure Island movie, uh, mm-hmm. which, in fact, you know, was uh, previously a book. And, you know, that was uh, romancing the idea of uh, uh, pirates and piracy and uh, and so on. Uh, and. Then uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 2, I think it was, uh, was based on a Tim Powers novel on Stranger Tides. That, that, that was three. That was four, oh, was that three? actually. Four. Four? four. Whatever. Four it was based on Tim oh, Powers on Stranger Tides, which is a very dark look at uh, piracy and voodoo and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, 
all these references cross over because everybody, you know, remembering those old movies and books of their youth uh, is fascinated by the idea of pirates and cool ideas. So mm-hmm. uh, similarly, uh, uh, you know, Ron Gilbert and company were uh, fascinated by the idea of, uh, uh, you know, uh, cartoon pirates and uh, came up with uh, a secret monkey Island. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, everybody borrows from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't recall what, but he mentioned that he borrowed some stuff in Secret of Monkey Island from Quest for Glory and was influenced by it. And uh, mm-hmm. I felt, and I don't remember what also, but I feel like we were influenced <laughs> a little bit writing uh, Quest for Glory 2 by talking with him. So mm-hmm. um, so what uh, movies influenced us? Uh, Young Frankenstein. Mm, great movie. Uh, definitely movie. Uh, was an influence for Quest for Glory 4. So funny. Um, yeah, my other favorite horror movie genre thing is uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> and I don't care for the kind of humor of most Abbott and Costello things because it's they tend to be kind of slapstick and, and uh, derogatory. I don't like humor that puts somebody down. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't put people down, and it has some visual gags that I have not – you can't ex- – you say, oh, why didn't I see that coming? They mm-hmm. gave the lead in to a joke, and then they paid off at the end, and it was just brilliant. Beautiful. And comedy is a really, really tough thing to pull off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So uh, all the you know Errol Flynn swashbucklers and uh, the so like the Sinbad and. Uh, you know, early, uh, you know, old Aladdin movie uh, mm-hmm. and so on were influences clearly on uh, Quest for Glory 2. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, probably more so than the uh, actual books, although we did uh, uh, get a 12 volume set of uh, 1001 Arabian Nights uh, to uh, read through at least a few of before we uh, uh, did Quest for Glory 2 or while we were writing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lots of influences from there. But uh, yeah, we definitely wanted to have that kind of. Uh, uh, oh, oh, what was your favorite? Oh, The Court Jester is one of Laurie's favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, with uh, Danny Kaye and... Uh, <laughs> I love Danny and, Kaye. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Was there ever a time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we had some Marx Brothers. We had uh, uh, The Maltese Falcon. Um, and that had to do with, uh, you know, some of the things. Like we had Jerry Moore just kind of put in miscellaneous objects into the uh, treasure room in uh, Heroes Quest. And one of them was uh, a blackbird, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that was uh, based in the Maltese Falcon. And so we had to write that into this, all the future storylines. Uh, so that's where I say, you know, stuff that wasn't itself. originally intended to be canon and suddenly becomes canon. Yeah, it did. It <laughs> took on a whole life of its own. <laughs> yep. uh, was, so, was there ever a time that you saw... Oh, sorry. I was I was just wondering if there was ever a time you saw like uh, Quest for Glory within another game or or within a, a book or a show or a movie where you're like, hmm, did the writer play our well, game? Well, we jo- we joked about that with uh, all the Disney films because Aladdin, uh, Disney's Aladdin, came out about uh, two or three years after uh, Quest for Glory two, which is our mm-hmm. Arabian Nights game. Simba. And so I said, huh, maybe somebody in that team played Quest for Glory two and decided it was time for a Arabian Nights uh, movie. And uh, right, right. Hercules came out not long after. Uh, was it Hercules came after after Quest for Glory Five? Or you mentioned a different one, Lori? Yeah, well, Africa, you know, mm. Fricana. Well, the Lion and King. They had the Lion King. Yeah, yeah. the Lion King came yeah. up a couple years after that. Simba, the name Simba alone. 
<laughs> really, yeah. So we were just, you know, it's like, okay. Disney Queen clearly looked at our games. Yeah. Those are Africa games. So, yeah, so we <laughs> joked that Disney got our, all their ideas uh, for ideas of movies for our games. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure it was a matter of independent uh, artistic uh, creativity. But, you know, you also get things like seeing a movie or playing a game or something. You kind of get that picture in the back of your head and you may mm. come up with it seemingly yeah. independently and actually be, have some influence. But it's it's not see, like every you time know, I see the movie anything. A Knight's Tale, I just keep thinking that the you know like the perfect like Quest for Glory movie. Plus, Heath Ledger <laughs> looks like he'd be the perfect hero. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess he would. You know, he was kind of that. Well, he had the shaggy blonde hair and everything. Yes, the right. Was Basil yeah. Baker Street an influence on your uh, uh, familiar story? No, it wasn't. But uh, I mean, I really will like would like to do that game. <laughs> See, what was the uh, Don Bluth uh, one with uh, rats? Oh, no, that wasn't. Oh, well, there was uh, Nim, Mrs. Oh, the rats of Rats of Nim. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, he did so much stuff. I just got Space Ace for the PlayStation 2 the other day. I was so oh, excited. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's the right way to play it. One, you didn't have to play a quarter for every time you died. Exactly. Yeah. That was an Dragon's, one Dragon's Flare was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hard. But, so so yeah, the next beautiful. question I have is yep. uh, this is from Rick Highbury, of course, again from the Classic Gamers Guild. And he'd like to know why was Quest for Glory Shadows of Darkness not numbered in its title? That's a good question. Any idea? Not one we can answer. I don't <laughs> think it was. Uh, you know, a, a real decision on anybody's part. Yes. It just happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what I, I always worried about Quest for Glory 2, Trial by Fire, mm -hmm. uh, because game. there mm -hmm. was no Quest for Glory 1 at that point, and you came out with a Quest for Glory 2, and I worried that players would see that and say, oh, well, I haven't played that series. Uh, I guess I'll pass. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, because of the... Uh, terms of the, uh, uh, I was going to say agreement, but more demand from uh, mm -hmm. uh, Games Workshop that uh, we were not allowed to publicize that Quest for Glory 2 was a sequel to Heroes Quest. I uh, could not mention Heroes Quest in any of the marketing materials. Um, right. So I think we lost a lot of momentum there. And, you know, it may be that uh, by the time you're up to, you know, each of our games really is designed to play independently. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Uh, marketing may have uh, decided that putting a four on a game title would, uh, uh, you know, lose us uh, some players that hadn't pr played the first three. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, what about was sense. was it Quest for Glory Five Dragonfire or just Quest for Glory Dragonfire? No, it was Quest for Glory Five. Definitely, it had to be on there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know because I have two so, of them. I have one with the seal and one without the seal. Who was who was the one that said uh, consistency is the bugaboo of little minds? Uh, <laughs> yep, we're not consistent. <laughs> so we, I mean, we definitely had some problems with trademarks. We lost our uh, Heroes Quest trademark, and later on, we had uh, mm -hmm. Quest for Glory Three: Wages of War, and we're told we weren't allowed to use Wages of War as a subtitle. So we put some work into uh, coming up with a new subtitle, Seekers of the Lost City. That I don't think it was ever anything was ever released under that title. No, I never yeah. heard that. It's still uh, in the. Uh... Like, uh, when you go into the information of the game, like, the about, it has it in there. Oh, okay. 
Uh, but the, like the the, uh, the Heroes Quest thing, you know, the game that we were supposedly competing about, the board game was called Advanced Hero Quest. So it was not mm-hmm. the same thing as Heroes Quest. And, uh, you know, they had Advanced as part of it. And they had licensed the name to a group to make an Advanced Hero Quest uh, video game. But it wasn't done. We, f- we released first. So by all rights, we should have had the rights to the name, and they should have mm-hmm. had to change theirs. Uh, but uh, you know, basically, Sierra didn't want to fight a, a court battle against uh, yeah. Games Workshop, and uh, I think Milton Bradley had the uh, U.S. Uh, license for that. Uh, I said, was you know, so big mad game when company, that happened. Deep pockets. Uh, they didn't want to fight it. <laughs> so uh, I remember being yeah, five years old yeah. and seeing the commercials for it and being all excited about my favorite video game being a board game, and then. Now here I am 30 years later, and it's like, you know, I still have not touched a Hero Quest uh, board game because five-year-old me got so mad. Ah, well, I did buy a copy of Advanced Hero Quest, uh, the board game, so we could play it and find out what a, what it was all about. And it's a, it's an entertaining game. We only played it like twice. Uh, yeah, I've heard it's fun. I refuse to play it on principle now. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You stick to those principles no matter how how obsolete they are. Stand your ground, mate. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of people that I was really mad about when I was younger. That you know, as I got older, I think you know, that that was a long time ago, and they had reasons for doing what they're doing. And it's pretty silly to stay mad at somebody that's probably a perfectly reasonable person that I had a conflict once upon a time. Oh, there's that's no logic behind it now. Uh, I, I just no. you know. Don't want that's to fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We support you, Josh, in that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to I'm going to move right along. Uh, we're we're just about out of time here, but I have a few more questions I'd I'd love to get to. One is from Sean McCauley, again of the Classic Gamers Guild Group on Facebook. Hey, Laurie and Corey, I'm an English teacher, and most of my favorite games involve literacy. Now that most games are voiced, how do you feel that has affected gaming at large? Do you develop games differently now that they're voiced and how did leaving the parser change your development approach so that's kind of a two-in-one yeah because they tell you Igor's death must be avenged (laughs) well we made an explicit decision with uh, hero you rogue redemption not to use voice uh Mm -hmm. and that uh we didn't really make that decision my son made that decision and he told Mm -hmm. us that he had played a whole bunch of uh indie games and uh, jrpgs and so on that had just awful amateur voices and he said they ruined the game Mm -hmm. so he said that unless we were prepared to spend a hundred thousand dollars and get professional voice actors uh that we should not have voice at all uh I think he's right. I, th- I think bad voices, uh, no voice is better than bad yeah. voices. And that was his theory on that. And so that meant that I was free to write as much as I wanted to in, in dialogue. For, and boy, did she write a lot. And boy, did so I. Much. Yes, I've written novels. That's dialogue. a novel. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it exceeds Harry Potter 3 in terms mm-hmm. of wordage. Mm-hmm. Oh, so just going into the library. Wow. I sat there one time for 20 minutes just leafing through the one book alone. Just reading yeah. through the lore that you wrote for the series. Yeah, so therefore, the games get very, very, very wordy. Because mm-hmm. I know I don't have anybody counting word count, and because words are cheap as opposed to mm-hmm. art or anything else. So it's the easiest part to con, and that's my specialty. So therefore, it gets really, really story-driven. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Hiroyu did not sell as well as we expected it to, and there was a lot of reasons for that. That uh, uh, 
many of them have nothing to do with voice, but one of the pieces of feedback that I got over and over again is, uh, you know, this game really needs voice. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it would have been so much improved by having uh, strong voices. So I made the executive decision for uh, Summer Day's uh, Tilly's Tale that we would have uh, voice acting for it. Uh, mm-hmm. And we met uh, Dave Gilbert at uh, PAX uh, uh, fall before uh, fall of 2019. And uh, he mm-hmm. uh, s- said that uh, he could uh, voice direct it and use uh, uh, non-union but professional uh, voice actors uh, mm-hmm. uh, out of New York and that uh, would be much less expensive than we thought it would be. Uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out that, in fact, with the pandemic going on, it was even less expensive than he originally quoted. Uh, mm-hmm. because uh, he didn't have to hire a studio time. Um, and, you know, it's always a worry of everybody using their home studios, of whether you have consistency of uh, sound levels and so on. But, uh, of course. Uh, and we ended up getting some amazing voice actors for this. Uh, Zara Fazal, who's nice. uh, playing uh, the lead role of Tilly and oh, has yeah. a gazillion lines. I think she had eight recording sessions uh, to do it. Wow. Um, uh, is, and she'll need, we'll need to bring her back into the studio to do some pickup lines. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she is just unbelievably talented. And she could have done every female voice in the game and one of the male voices because uh, she has such a such a range and such uh, such varying uh, voices and so on. Uh, uh, I decided that because she was doing the most important role in the game that we'd keep her just for that. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, she's really talented. And all of the... Uh, all the actors and actresses we got are just really good. So we're get, we're going to have some wonderful voice acting in uh, summer days, and you know mm-hmm. I'm kind of tempted, but you know it's it's one of those uh, uh, you know catch twenty two things is uh, having uh, not sold that well in Hero U. We can't we don't have the money to afford to uh, add voices to at this point to find that would sell better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in future I'm gonna I'm gonna push for having voices in the games because I think they add a lot. And- that this game of summer days does not have nearly as much text as Rogue to Redemption. It was designed to be a simpler game, to be have a slow, mm-hmm. smaller budget, and um, yet it's still got a lot of words. But, I mean, oh, uh, but we didn't actually <laughs> answer the question. And the actual answer to the question is they did mixed up fairy tales uh, that was uh, supposed to uh, teach reading to uh, uh, pre preschool. Uh, students learning how to read and that is a mm-hmm. text only game and i felt that that was just the worst mistake ever that uh, you mm-hmm. cannot really teach uh reading and writing unless you have the voice mm-hmm. to uh reinforce uh the written mm-hmm. word uh, you make a good so point. i think that uh i think voice really adds to uh, literacy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. voice no, without without text not so much no, I need it to be both for various reasons. I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm playing a game in a busy environment and I need to be able to turn the voice off and still play the game. But it doesn't mean I don't like the voice or I don't enjoy the voice. I mean, when I go back and play games that have voice, I do like to leave it on. It's good memories and stuff too. But uh, uh, the other part of the question was just briefly, and I'm, I'm not even sure how you can do this concisely, but the question being, how did leaving the parser change your development approach? Yeah, it's a totally different way of looking at a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the puzzle, puzzle design, and that um, have to be redone because parser makes it easy to do puzzles. Because frankly, trying to do anything with a puzzle 
I mean, with a parser is a puzzle. I mean, mm-hmm. trying to pick a lock, you know, <laughs> find the right words to do that or pick up <laughs> something off the table. You have mm-hmm. to find the right words to, to pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's all makes everything complicated. The simplest mm-hmm. things. And honestly, I didn't, that's not the kind of game I like to play. I want to play something that lets me have a story rather than trying to figure out how to pick up a a book off a table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so therefore, I was happy when we went to the parcelless games because mm-hmm. it it made things simpler. It made mm-hmm. things that you weren't thinking about the interface, you're thinking about the story. Mm-hmm. Like having to say portcullis instead of gate to get to uh right. Uh, yes. get into the yeah, castle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although you guys did teach me that word, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah, your games taught us a few words, for sure. <laughs> yes. Of course, I used to yeah, call it porticulous we've... when I was a kid. <laughs> ah. Oh, mine, uh, mine was... Uh, the game in itself. <laughs> mine was uh, melancholy. You know, I learned most mm. of my vocabulary by reading. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and so I read this uh, word, uh, melancholy. And when I uh, heard, you know, heard the song "Melancholy Baby" and so on, it never in my life occurred to me that that was the same word that I knew as melancholy. Oh, that's um, great! And uh, there have been a number of other uh, words that we mispronounce. Because uh, let's see, oh, uh, victuals, of course. Uh, I was mm-hmm. corrected by my uh, uh, my friend uh, Kanita said, uh, "What? Oh, uh, vittles. The word is vittles." And it's to me, no, it's victuals. It's written as victuals. It's clearly not vittles. Uh, but, but that is how the... Every time I see it, it's, I thought it was awry, and it's uh, A-W-R-R-Y. So, you know, you see it, your brain doesn't, like... Oh, awry. Parrot. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or macabre. 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 The R is silent there. Uh-huh. So she's still can't pronounce... No. It's like that word... My my most recent one was driving by uh, Penelope's bookshop, but I was always calling it Penelope's bookshop. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had uh, just just enough Spanish and French and German in uh, high school that I'm probably a little bit of a snob about using uh, European pronunciations for vowels. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and of um, uh, I actually had a D&D character who has a fake French accent. It says right in the character sheet, it's a fake French accent. Uh, <laughs> so he has a really bad fake French accent. So I love speaking my imitation French. <laughs> that is wonderfully that's, bad. That's actually borderline too yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> ah, merci, like, Mixed opinions. Uh, oh, yeah. But yes, I did have one year of French in high school. <laughs> all right well that that's about i wanted to get to more questions but that's about all the time we have before we wrap oh, up you can uh, it all down you guys words? actually have to get to sleep sometime uh, well no actually i mean we just keep <laughs> going all night but i once again i'm not the editor so you know <laughs> that's true uh, it only makes it tougher yes yeah well we uh we tend to give long answers to simple questions Oh, I love it. It's it's just absolutely my favorite. I love it. The long answers. Uh, any any shout outs you want to give out? Uh, things that you're working on, dates, things are coming up. Anybody you want to say hi to? Oh, got tons of them. Well, first of all, of course, if you have a Nintendo Switch, uh, or if you know anyone who has a Nintendo Switch, uh, you really should be getting uh, Hero You Rogue Redemption for them on the Switch because mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and. 
uh, and it's our chance at livelihood. Um, uh, I've already made the shout out to uh, Sid Meier's memoir. Uh, mm -hmm. You definitely should read that book if you're interested in uh, the inside story of what it's like to be a game designer. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, Sid Meier is the game designer's game designer. Uh, well, there's a lot of a uh, lot of books that are either out or coming out. There's the Sierra Adventure by Sean Mills. Uh, there is Ken Williams' uh, Not All Fairy Tales of Happy Endings. It's uh, mm -hmm. about the business side of uh, Sierra Online. Uh, wow, I'm working in a book reads. with uh, Jason Michael, which is uh, M-I-C-A-L, um, uh, and that will be out possibly later this year. Uh, that is uh, an in-depth look at uh, uh, Quest for Glory and uh, the game itself and the making of and uh, Laurie and me and our other games, so a little bit of everything, but it's kind of the ultimate Quest for Glory book. Uh, I think we're calling it Questing for Glory. Mm -hmm. um, what else as far as adventure games? Uh, uh, I was blown away with uh, Quest for Infamy that was done by... Uh, uh, yes. Steven Alexander, Steven Alexander, yeah. Steven Alexander, who's had his health problems uh, uh, with kidneys and so on, but uh, uh, Quest for Infamy is a, just a, it's a, it's a really professional uh, uh, fan-made game that uh, just uh, stands right up there with anything Sierra did. It's uh, uh, an excellent game. Uh, uh, Complete love letter so. to everything that Sierra's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I definitely have to give a shout out to uh, Dave Gilbert, who's been really helpful to us uh, with our uh, voice recordings and so on. His uh, uh, his game last year was a valid. He's working with uh, Richard Cobbett, uh, formerly of uh, Rock Paper Shotgun, on a, a vampire game called Nighthawks, uh, that should be a lot of fun. A really heavily story oriented game. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of good good work still being done. Uh, and unfortunately, a little too much of it, which makes it tough to be a developer. <laughs> but there are choices out there, and there's good stuff. Did you want to uh, say anything, Lauren, that I've monopolized that? Yeah, really. I was going to say we're going to have Summer Days at Hero U, uh, Tilly's Tale coming out this year. Yay! And uh, we'll also have, uh, at some point, um, Ifeo's game. Mm -hmm. And Feo's adventures, which is his side, his adventures, and the thing with Tilly's tale takes place the summer before Sean's Sean gets to the school. Okay. But Feo is there the summer after Sean Sean's adventures. So oh, cool. the events that happened in Sean's game uh, really start to start to the. Uh, the ball rolling on what's going mm -hmm. on. And so therefore in Feo's game, the game has a, you know, the story world is getting a little more serious. Right. Yeah. And we could say um, if we, if we ever get around to doing uh, hero, you wizard way uh, that, uh, uh, Feo's, uh, adventure will be the lead into that as, uh, teaching more mm -hmm. about what's going on in the wizard classes and so on. And, uh, a little bit of that, uh, the dark undertones, uh, to the, uh, the world of hero, you, uh, mm -hmm. But uh, Tilly's Tale in particular is a lighter game. It's more of a uh, 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 fantasy storybook uh, that's an interactive storybook. So you choose your own path through it. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, it's uh, you know it's not uh, not a uh, heavy RPG where you have combats and stuff like that. So it's more of a uh, uh, game that you'll uh, uh, read and collaborate in the writing along with uh, Lori as you uh, as you go through it. It's yeah, role-playing light. 
<laughs> yes. There's a demo too, right? You can go ahead and uh, yes. get that a download. And please yes, there's do. a playable it's, it's demo on uh, itch.io mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. our page that hopefully somebody will link uh, for us. Yep, yep. We will definitely. Uh, oh, we have uh, a Patreon. We should make a shout out for our Patreon. It's mm-hmm. patreon.com slash Cory Lori Cole. And you got to spell our names right, though. It's C O R E Y L O R I. Cory Lori Cole um, uh, is uh, where people subscribe uh, to. Uh, see Lori's photography and uh, our old articles from the spell book and from uh, the uh, quest log blog and uh, new stuff I'm writing and uh, just whatever we put in there. Uh, and that's also a way of uh, supporting our uh, uh, debauched and uh, uh, excessive lifestyle of <laughs> oh, sitting at home in front of our computers <laughs> playing games. <laughs> And of course, so, I've seen uh, visit you guys our Patreon around if on... you want to either learn more about our stuff or uh, uh, or contribute to our development. And of course, I've seen you guys around on uh, Twitch as well. You know, you're out there and saying hi to people and and talking to the fans. Right now, it's kind of I'm u- I'm used to talking at you guys through the keyboard and hearing you yeah. respond back to me. This is great. It's actually like interactive voice wise back and forth. But honestly, in Twitch, it is so much fun. And you guys do games and and contests and there's prizes and then you know. Read stories sometimes at the end, so it's a lot of fun. We're trying to do it every two weeks now, uh, on a regular basis, uh, and it starts at uh, two p.m. Uh, Pacific time, uh, California time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, every other Saturday, and it's on uh, Twitch.com/transolargames. All right, mates, that's all the time we've got for today. But thank you so much to our guests for joining us today, Josh Orion Koss. Love you, mate. Please say hello to him over at the Classic Gamers Guild if you're there. And to Laurie and Corey Cole, love you guys. It's always an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to speak with you. So thank you for your time. Look forward to speaking to you guys here on the podcast again soon, perhaps. So on to the obligatory closing of the show. Thank you again for listening to us. Please find us on Facebook. Uh, we're a group. We're a page. You can come bloody join the discussion. Jump on in and have some fun with us talking about these silly old things that we love. You can also find us on Instagram at CGG Podcast. Uh, we're over at Twitter. You can do us a tweet at the CG Guild. If you'd like to send us an email, mail at classicgamersguild.com. And a huge thank you to all of our Patreons. Thank you so much for making this show possible, for covering costs involved in doing this and hosting it, uh, all the way down to validating, justifying, giving us motivation and reason to keep getting together once a week to record these shows for your hopeful enjoyment. And of course, an extra special thanks to those in said tier, Mark Fillion and Jay Holmes. You guys are legends. We love you. As a part of responsible broadcasting, I'll sign off by encouraging you to not do, don't not do, do not, just, just, just don't, don't do murder. 